Good morning. Welcome to uh, the Street East. My name is Simon, and I just want to introduce to you uh, this morning speaker, Matt Ryan. Uh, good morning, welcome. <laughs> Uh, one, of the, one of the big attractions in, in, in becoming a multi-site church was more opportunities for people to uh, not just have a go, but actually get stuck in and have meaningful leadership opportunities. And today isn't just a, let's see someone have a go. But at the same time, it is an opportunity for somebody like Matt, who's a youth intern uh, at the street, to, um, to be developed. And so Matt has only really communicated at our youth program. And on a Sunday night service, which is like young adults and yeah. students and and um, and people who just slept in like way too late on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Whereas like 10 a.m. East, only a handful of people slept in, so yeah. it's all good. Um, <clears throat> but so this is the first time on a Sunday morning um, with, I guess, a range across generations. And so this is a cool opportunity. We're going to be so encouraging, Matt. But also, I know when I heard Matt speak for the first time at the Massive, our youth program, like, I felt we could have taken that message and just stuck it here. I was, I, I laughed, I cried, I was challenged, and I shared <laughs> some of your points with so many people around me. So I'm really looking forward to this morning. So we pray, and we'll let Matt get on with it. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you for this man today. I want to thank you for the gifting, for the anointing. God, we're so expectant, not only over this morning, but God, where you will take this man and what you will use him for. God, we want to say this morning, our hearts are open. We, we pause right now. We say, Lord, this is your word and it's sacred. And we want to listen with open ears and with attentive eyes and with a soft heart and say, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you move us? Would you change us? And Lord, we pray right now. By your spirit that you would do the, use this man powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Are we going? Am I on? Awesome. I'm kind of feeling the need to defend the 6 p.m. service after that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, it is actually a valid service as well. It's young adults, but God is there too, you know, so that's pretty cool. Um, hey, we're going to jump back into the book of Hebrews today. We've been journeying through Hebrews over the last um, couple of months or so, and I, w- w- I want to refresh us on kind of what the deal with this book is, because it's quite, it ties into today's message quite a lot. And so Hebrews is significantly different from the other books in the New Testament. Um, you might have noticed the writing style is quite rich, it's quite dense, it's quite theological, and there is a particular reason for this. And so the author, who we don't know who it is, we know it's not Paul because he's just writing in a completely different way, um, and some of the other writers as well, very different. Um, the book has one clear purpose. It's got kind of He's got one message that he wants to send, and the message is this, is that Jesus is superior to everything else. Jesus is the better way. And the reason he majors so much on this one point is because he's speaking to a particular group and with particular circumstances. He's not necessarily writing to all the Christians at that time, but he's speaking into this one particular situation. And what we know about this group is that these were Jewish people, so they were full-on, fully-blown, devout, religious Jews um, but at some stage, they'd heard the message about Christ. And so they'd kind of come from being very religious Jewish people to Christians. But now they're tempted to go back again because life was getting quite tough. Um, if you were a, a Christian at that time, the majority of the people in that culture were Jewish. And they weren't really afraid to tell you, actually, uh, that's the wrong. You shouldn't be like that. You need to come back. I'm not going to employ you while you're a Christian. I'm not going to be your friend while you're a Christian. I actually have a very strong 
personal problem with you while you're a Christian, and you need to come back. So these, this group is like, okay, um, we're actually getting pretty close to packing it in here. This is getting really tough, and there's a temptation just to flag it. And so this is where Hebrews comes in. The author is convinced that persevering as a Christian is worth it because the Christ that these people are following and is superior to the ways of the old Jewish religion. And he takes all 13 chapters of Hebrews to argue this one point. And does it by working through parts and different elements of the Jewish religion and saying, actually, Jesus is better than this, and Jesus is better than that. And that's why the Old Testament is so heavily referenced here, is because he's working through these different elements, and he's demonstrating to them how Jesus is better. And thus we have the book of Hebrews. Um, So, yeah, so that's the point. Sorry, I'm just missing. Um, What... The author is saying that um, the Old Testament, which is actually where the Jewish religion comes out of, is saying that was the right and the true and the good message for you before, but actually the Old Testament points forward to a coming Messiah, and he's going to change everything. And he's saying, actually, you now need to respond to this change. Um, and thus, Jesus, who was discussed and predicted in the Old Testament, he's now arrived, and the spiritual landscape has been revolutionized. And in to- time of what was taught in the Old Testament, which we might call the Law, or also the Old Covenant, um, that time has actually passed now, and the time of Christ arrived, and he's come with a new age of grace and truth. And so the author is saying, I know this takes courage and perseverance, but it is worthwhile, it is superior, it is far better than the other option you attempted to return to, and I want to prove it to you. And so I thought we would start off today with kind of a graphic representation of where we're going. Um, People generally won't hop in a car unless they know where the car is going, so I thought it's good to point out exactly uh, what we're going. And also I needed to display my uh, Microsoft PowerPoint prowess, and so if you're a graphic designer, you could just look away so you're not personally offended right now. Uh, So what we've got here is we've got the chart of maturity according to the writer of Hebrews. Uh, this is quite small, it's alright, my bad. Uh, the better trans, maturity, better translated, perfect or complete. And so, uh, we are, you are not at the top of the maturity kind of curve. Uh, you are at the bottom of the maturity kind of curve and you need to respond accordingly. So, uh, who's offended thus far? That's good. Um, I'd like to note, it's like, I kind of perceive the irony and the fact that it's me giving a message on maturity. I know some of you guys might be like, you know, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that guy, that kid looks like he's 20. Like, how is he possibly giving a message on maturity? And I just want to like lay that to rest right now. We need to kind of just pivot on that attitude because um, I'm actually 21. Uh, and so, you know, you can just leave those kind of, just leave those concerns at the door. Uh yeah, I'd actually like to give you an update. I'm shaving every three days now, so um, I'm well positioned to give a message on maturity. Uh, and so the passage today is Hebrews 5:11 to 6:3. And in the last couple of weeks, um, we've been looking at Jesus as the great high priest. Simon last week fleshed this idea out about how Jesus is the great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And if you're anything like me, you're like. <laughs> who is Melchizedek? You know, like pulling out your phone and Googling it, because I have no idea who this guy is. But the thing is, this wasn't the problem that the original audience had. They had another problem, and that problem is what the author is going to try and address today. 
Um, he wants to expand on his idea of Christ being the high priest, but he takes a pause to address an issue that he perceives as limiting the audience's ability to understand and get the full value out of his message. And it's important to realize this message isn't directly directly addressed to us here today, but actually the principles and the attitudes that he's looking at today, I believe probably apply to us here as well. And so here we go, remembering that the author is making his point about Christ being the high priest of Melchizedek. He says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment." And we will do this if God permits. Yeah, I'm just going to pray. God, I ask that you would speak through to my words today. I pray that um, what comes out here isn't my opinion, but this is the truth that you're trying to communicate through um, through your word. I pray that, um, yeah, we'll be open to hearing and, and open to receiving what you have to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it starts off in verse 11, he says, we have a great deal to say about this. The author is, has more to say about Christ as the high priest, but, and it, but it's difficult to explain. It's too, it's too hard for him to communicate his point. Why? Since you've become too lazy to understand, because the audience is not putting any effort into trying to understand and comprehend the message. They can't really be bothered actually trying to process exactly what he is saying. And the writer has identified this problem in his audience that they are no longer trying to understand what he is saying. Other translations say these people have become dull of hearing. And the problem isn't necessarily that they are simply not listening. It's more that the message is entering the ears. It's just not having the effect that it should have. And so they're listening, but they're not actually responding. It's kind of meeting them at a head level, but it's not sinking down um, to a heart level. And so he's bringing a hugely transformative message or something that should be transformative and actually it's been met with apathy. There's no action that's coming out of there. Um, and the author of Hebrews is worried that these people are going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the full value of what he has to say if they don't change pers- their perspective, if they don't change their attitudes towards how they are listening. It's not that he's condemning them for not listening. It's that his heart has actually moved towards them and he wants to get them to get out what he's actually trying to say because this has immense value for their lives and actually if they respond to that, they're the ones that are going to benefit. And so that's why he's trying to address this issue. I reckon that Hebrews, and when I say Hebrews, I just mean the audience of the book Hebrews. Um, I reckon the Hebrews are kind of like a frequent flyer who are sitting at the airport. And so this guy is like, you know, he's quite, he's a businessman sort of guy. He's got Koru Club, frequent flyer. He's up to Auckland like every second week for meetings and stuff. And so at 5 a.m. when his alarm goes off, he's like, I'm checking his ticket. He's checking his ticket. 
And then the taxi, he's checking his ticket again because he's got, he's not paranoid, but he's just like, you know, he just wants to be doubly sure, triple sure, quadruple sure that he's at the right place at the right time. And so, okay, we're like, cool, we've got gate 22 and we need to be there at 7.25 for boarding. And so he gets there like ridiculously early because, you know, he just wants to make sure he needs to be comfortable. And he's checking his ticket again. He's like, cool, you know, gate 22, 7.25. And so he gets there early and he sits down. He's like, cool, I've made it. And the relief kind of comes with that and the worry that he has kind of starts to disappear. And so what he does, he's like, okay, cool, I've made it. He tucks in some music and he starts to go get a coffee and he starts to smash out some emails. And in the background, the airport announcement's kind of going, but he's not really listening to that. He's a frequent flyer, you know, he hears these things all the time. And so he keeps doing what he's doing. Um, and again, the announcements keep going, but, you know, when you fly all the time, you're not really actually listening to the airport announcements that are going on. Uh, the problem is, one of the more common announcements is that this guy's flight, the gate's actually changed. And the problem is that while this announcement's going, he's actually got too much trust in his preparation that he already knows he's at the right place. And so he's turned himself off to listening to this new announcement because he's comfortable. You know, I'm in the right place. I've read the ticket a thousand times. I can see gate 22 there. I'm cool. I'm good. You know, and, and he's still sitting there checking his emails. And this is the airport seat at the wrong gate. This is where the Hebrews are right now. In the passage, there is a new message for them, but they are not being attentive. They are hearing in the sense that the information is reaching their ears, but they aren't open to the possibility that actually this is something that's relevant and meaningful to them. And the reason they're doing this is because they're operating under the belief that they already have all of the relevant information. They did all the necessary preparation for their flight and acted accordingly. And this would have been fine under normal circumstances, except this is not normal circumstances. There is a new message. There is a new piece of information. It's a hugely pivotal communication that's being missed because the traveler has switched off thinking they're in the right place. And there's a new message for the Hebrews too. The new message is that Christ is the prophesied Messiah. He's now arrived and he is the better way. And we know that whoever the group was that the Hebrews was written to, they had a crazy knowledge of the Old Testament. They came out of a very religious background where they would have known the content of the Old Testament inside and out. And we sometimes forget that these guys were alive whilst the New Testament was in the very early stages of being written by various authors. And so at that time, the Old Testament was the entirety of Scripture. You know, like the Old Testament was the full Bible for the people who were living in these times. And one of the reasons we know they had a really strong knowledge of this was that the author is using stuff like Melchizedek to make his point. Okay, Melchizedek isn't like a major theme in the Old Testament. He's mentioned briefly twice, really, at the most. And so the writer is saying, actually, I know you guys have a knowledge of this because I'm going to use this very specific point to make my argument. Like, if you didn't have an in-depth knowledge of the Old Testament, this would be a very ineffective argument. But this is what he's chosen to make because they know all about the Old Testament. And their problem was they had knowledge, but they didn't have understanding. They missed the point. It's the same as like who we know from the Pharisees who are frequently mentioned in the the Gospels um, that record Jesus' time on earth. They're hugely confident because they've spent their whole lives learning about this Old Testament and about the law, which is the set of rules they were instructed to follow. Except they missed the point of the law. They thought that the point of the law was so that they could have a benchmark with which they could measure their superiority to other people with. But actually the point of the law was to illustrate their inability to meet all of these rules. They couldn't fulfill all the criteria. 
And what we have alongside the law in the Old Testament is that the message actually points forward. It points forward to a time of Messiah when, to a time when a Messiah would come, a person called Jesus Christ, a person he would come and fulfill the law on behalf of people so that we didn't have to. But because they had invested so much time getting the knowledge, even though the, the understanding was missing, they were overly confident that they had the full picture. So they're not wanting to hear anything new. They're not wanting to hear anything that might be saying, you've got it wrong, after they've spent their whole lives learning this, stu- learning this stuff. And so they become dull of hearing, where they are just too lazy to understand. It's because they think they have already heard it all, just like the traveler waiting at the wrong gate because he read the ticket and that was printed out before the gate was changed. I remember being in year 12 or year 13 um, at, youth group and we'd, at youth group and we'd done a Bible study one night and my leader's like, oh, how was that? Did you enjoy it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like we've, you know, we've already done this stuff before. It was quite, it was, it was boring. I've heard this before. And he goes, well, you know, the Bible's not going to get any bigger. Like, this is kind of what we've got to work with. Um, <laughs> you know, like, there's nothing, there's not really anything more coming. And so 16-year-old me concluded, well, if we're coming around again, we've obviously done a full lap of everything that's worthwhile knowing. Uh, and so, you know, like, I kind of know everything there is to know. <laughs> you know, like, if we're doing this again, if I've heard this before and we're doing it again, then obviously there's nothing else that's worthwhile knowing because we've covered everything. Uh, and so, you know, I remember thinking like, man, these year nines and tens are going to be blessed by this Bible study. I actually, I still remember when, back when I was still learning, sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I think this kind of models the immature state of the Hebrews. Like the writer is saying, don't sit there thinking you already know everything to know. You don't know. In fact, even though you've spent your whole lives religiously studying these scriptures, you've missed the main point. Don't be immature enough, don't be naive enough to think that you already have the full picture. Leave some room for the fact that there might be more to learn. Don't switch yourself off thinking you've heard it all before. And while the circumstances for us here today are different in that we now have the full, pic- the full picture of the New Testament and we might better understand what these particular guys didn't, I know in my own life that I can be guilty of thinking, I've got the full picture, and so I actually switched myself off from having a fuller and a better understanding of what God is trying to communicate to me. Last week at the start of the service, Jenny shared out of Philippians 2 about how Christ was God and yet humbled himself sacrificially serve us humans and to give everything of himself for a group that didn't remotely come close to deserving it. And how often do we think, yeah, that's cool, I've, heard, I've actually heard that passage before. Like, I don't know how many lifetimes it takes to fully understand and comprehend a passage like that, that God would come and give himself to make up for my ineptitude at life. But I know it's more than one lifetime to understand that sort of passage. And I get here at 21, I think, okay, that was cool, that was nice, what's next? And so here's my observation as we discuss this idea of maturity this morning, that in fact a state of maturity is not having a full knowledge or a complete understanding of everything, But that being mature means that you have an awareness of the gap between your knowledge and understanding and God's knowledge of understanding and that you are therefore teachable and eager to learn what he wants to teach you. I wonder if we were to flip this verse on its head so that it's painting not a negative picture about the Hebrews but the reverse positive picture. Would someone say this about us as individuals and as a church community? I think there's a next, is there a next slide? I think there is. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is easy to explain, 
since you have become eager to understand. Like, is that what someone would perceive about us? Let's not be dull of hearing or too lazy to understand, but let's be attentive to the fact that there is more to offer us in the Word of God, and let's have the humility to acknowledge that we get nowhere near to having the full picture. And so the quick, best way I can summarize this whole, deal is this whole idea is this. Maturity is an awareness of our immaturity. And in the following verses, the author uses a metaphor. He uses a word picture to ram home this point, And it's quite brutal. It's quite in your face. But he's continuing to address this issue of maturity that he perceives in the audience. Basically, he says, even though you guys have aged in years, spiritually, you're still infants. You're still babies. He talks about the way they're understanding what he calls the message about righteousness, the message about the truth of Jesus. And he compares it to food. He says, although by this time you should be really, you should be ready for some solid food, you should be ready for some lamb shanks or some lasagna, you're actually, you're not actually not ready for the solid adult food yet. You still need milk, you still need baby food. What you actually need, despite your age, is some uh, Wattie's Apple and Peach Puree, which is approved by Plunkett. It's a dollar at Countdown, and it's also approved by INAG, which is the Infant Nutrition Advisement Group, um, for those who didn't know. Um, and so verse 11 says, we have a great deal to explain about this, and it is difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. And then verse 12, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And though, although by this time refers to the fact that these guys have spent their whole lives studying scripture, they've been on this faith journey, although it's been pretty turbulent, like they've worked with the same Bible for their whole lives. And a significant amount of time has passed. So he's saying, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be able to share this message. You ought to be able to represent what it's saying. Um, but he says, actually, you aren't able to do that. You need someone to teach you the basic principles again. And it's interesting that he talks about maturity in the sense of you ought to be teachers. In some way, he's using an ability to teach as a measure of maturity. What I don't think he's saying is actually everyone needs to be able to teach in a formal upfront setting, like in a church, because there's parts of the New Testament that says some people are given the responsibility to do that, other people have a responsibility to do other things. And since he's talking to the group overall, I believe he might be talking about teaching in more of an outreach sense. Because you have to remember, if you wanted to share your faith with someone in these times, you couldn't send them a YouTube link or send them a book. Like if you wanted them to hear the message, you either had to drag them along to the synagogue where someone would read out these scriptures and probably interpret them wrong actually in those time. Or the alternative was you had to share the message yourself. You actually had to know the information and be able to pass it on to the people. And so what he's saying is a measure of maturity might be, you know, how well can actually you pass that on? Does the message stop with you? Does it stop with you maybe because you think, oh yeah, that's cool, I've heard that before? Or does it pass on? Are you a sponge that consumes and soaks up the word of God, keeping it to yourself? Or does it flow through you and on to others? And he says, you need milk, not solid food. You are not mature adults, you are actually immature children. In fact, you are babies. You know, like, 
And the writer is not being half-hearted in his communication here. This likely would have been an extremely offensive thing that he's saying to these people, and he's not using something that's confusing. It's a simple picture. They can't really miss this point. You know, that you guys actually aren't mature adults. You're actually little babies. And he says, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. Everyone on milk is inexperienced with the message on righteousness. He's saying, actually, to be on milk is an immature state. Don't stay there. Don't be satisfied there. Be uncomfortable being an infant. And why is he saying this? It's because when you're a baby, you might think that the baby food, the milk, this sort of stuff, like, it's good. Like, this might be satisfying for you when you're a baby. But no adult who's had proper food wants to go back to baby food. Like once you've progressed to proper food, you understand that actually this stuff is far superior to apple puree. No one who's had lamb shanks wants to go, you know what I want, what I want? What is apple puree? And this is the author's point. He's not condemning them for not, for being immature to make them feel bad. He's wanting to illustrate to them that although they may currently feel satisfied in the immature position, like a baby is satisfied with milk, they are missing out on the good stuff. They are inexperienced with the message about righteousness. They aren't grasping the fullness and the richness and the transformative power of the gospel. And so he's saying, there's much more to offer for you. Adopt a posture and an attitude that you can extract the full value from what I'm trying trying to say. And he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And the reason he says this is because for the Hebrews... Their inability to distinguish between the Jewish religion they had in one hand and their true faith in Christ in the other, their inability to to distinguish between these two things is what is holding them back from going forward to maturity. And so the the kind of final idea I want to work with today is, is what is it that we need to distinguish between? What are we holding one of either in two hands, but actually we need to drop what's in one hand and move forward to the maturity? Because the Hebrews, in one hand, the Hebrews kind of grasp Christ as grace and truth, and in the other hand, they grasp this very much like kind of false religion. And, and the reason they're doing this is because life, it makes life more comfortable for them. Like if they had kind of a balance, they could hold one in one hand and the other stuff in the other, and that just kind of made it easier. It was more palatable to the people around them. But actually saying, you need to drop this kind of stuff. And one of the thoughts, and then it gets through to... Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, tells us more fully the ways in which the group were clinging to their religious roots. Um, It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from good dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Now, my first thought when I read this is lots of these things look like good and updated New Testament kind of ideas. Like you look at something like faith in God and you think, why is he saying drop this sort of stuff? And the thing is, all of these things, they didn't understand them in the way that we understand them now. These are essentially stuff that they'd misconstrued from the Old Testament. And he's saying, you need to move on from these. So like faith in God is not how we would understand faith in God. They saw God and kind of, they had a faith in God that God would reward them. And so faith in God was quite transactional. You know, I have a belief that actually I can profit of God. This is the faith in God that they had. And he's saying, actually, all these things aren't right. 
This is how you're compromising to make life easier, but you need to move on from there. Let's not stay on the milk, but let's move on to the solid food. And I pose this question to us, what do, we, what do we need to move on in order to become more complete in our faith? Maybe it's something we are compromising on, like the Hebrews, in order to fit in better, in order to be better liked by those around us. It could be any number of things. But I believe that if we step back and adopt a mature state of humility, if we adopt a mindset that says, God, I'm actually not yet the finished product, would you please help me to get one step closer then God will reveal the areas of our lives that we might be able to work on to grow towards completion. And that's kind of it. It's quite a simple, it's quite a simple idea, but I think this is something that it takes a lifetime to work on. Like I know I'm just so far away from here at the moment. And I just want to close out with a final thought. And the thought is this. For someone who is trying to work their way into a strong position with God, for someone who is trying to earn a place in heaven by living out a good life, this message is a significant threat for that person. To say to someone who is putting their trust in themselves, actually you are not mature enough, you're not an adult, you're still a child, this is actually quite, this is offensive to say that. And a response might be, you know, like, what do you mean I'm immature? I'm actually very mature. I believe that on the balance of my life, uh, the good that I do actually outweighs the bad. I believe God that would pick me, and if he wasn't going to pick me, I could actually convince him otherwise on the basis of what I do. Uh, He would certainly pick me over my friend Trish. Trish, actually, she's in my life group, but she doesn't come very often. She actually has some quite significant sin issues in her life. Um, I actually, Trish is actually quite immature herself, so I think today's message, I'm actually going to send you the link for this, because this message is more for Trish than it is actually for me. But I think, unfortunately, what we need to consider is... um, and this is an attitude that I've recognized like all the time in my life, um, so I'm probably speaking more to me than anyone else at the moment, um, that by having this perspective, we are actually proving the writer's point about us being immature. Because this is the exact attitude that the Jewish religious people had, and the writer is saying, actually, you need to move on from there, you need to move from immaturity to maturity. But here's ultimately what we need to remember, and this is what allows us to actually not be threatened by this. Our salvation, our eternal life, and our position with God are not staked on or determined by our level of maturity. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Does it say that we are saved by our maturity? No. Does it say we are saved by something we can work on, something we can develop? something we can grow ourselves. No, we're not. It says we are saved, saved, past tense, has already happened by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves or anything that's within you. It is the gift of God. God freely gives salvation to those who believe in him and accept his freely given offer regardless of their level of maturity. So we're done. Can I grab the band, Jamie? Thank you. Here we go. The quicker we understand that our salvation and our position with God is not on the line here, the quicker we can see that the message that we are immature is not actually a threat to us, and the faster we can see that actually this message is an opportunity. There is more for us. There is room to grow. We're only on milk now, 
but the offer on the table for us is that there is solid food and that the solid food is far, far better. Let's not close ourselves off to what else God has for us by thinking we are already at the end of the line, by thinking we are already the finished product. Let's find security in the fact that God is fully aware of our immaturity and loves us and sent his son for us anyway. You might be able to convince yourself that you are mature. You might be able to convince yourself that you have got enough of what it takes, but actually you're not going to be able to convince God. And therefore, let's make a mature admission of our incompleteness, incompleteness, always leaving room to grow so that we are eager to learn and so that we are open to the opportunity of solid food. We are open to the opportunity of what God wants to give to us. Don't let the solid food pass you by because you think the milk is as good as it gets. Dear God, yeah, I just pray that that we'd always be open to, to your teaching and be to be open to your moulding. Um, I pray that we don't try to lead ourselves, but that actually we're open to being led by you. God, I pray for the humility that it takes to put a trust in you and not in ourselves. pray that you would give that to us today. pray that this message would be something that um, would transform us throughout the weeks and throughout the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.